Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. Father Paul. Joey. What's up? <laughs> Good. Prodigal. I mean, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So used to me saying, how's it going? Uh, Prodigal, the priest, and me, this is our question edition. This is where you ask the burning questions of, in your heart, and we answer them. And Father Paul sips his coffee. Uh, try, tea. Uh, tr- oh, tea. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a new place in uh, Capel we need to go to. It's called, um, it's called Tea Latte Bar. It's over... Now, now, hear hear me out. It's I don't the like one milk, really. Though. Yeah, 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 yeah. They have other stuff, but it's they also do the boba tea. You know, the bubbles, the, like the uh, things you drink in the one bottle. One of my cousins loves that. Yeah, actually, all of my cousins love love that. Maybe we can do. Maybe we can go and then discuss it one episode. Everyone's always trying to get me a drink bubble tea. Yeah, I'm not a big fan <laughs> of it, but they have other type of stuff. So. It's just kind of weird because it's like, am I drinking a marble? And then yeah. it goes, you, you know, I kind of like some, it though. Yeah, it's Except, awesome. Except, yeah, there's always a lot of sugar in it. Just too much sugar. There, well, I'll, I'll tell them to hold the sugar for okay, you. Okay, yeah. So no, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is the question editions where you guys ask your questions. We give our best shot at them. You all have submitted some great questions for this week. Um, and uh, just want to remind you all. There's a few ways you can submit questions through our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff on our parish website, sanandparish.org slash PTP, or um, you can email us directly, uh, prodigalandthepriest at gmail.com. You may think that we've forgotten you, but we just try to group questions in a certain order and different things like that. And as you could tell from an earlier experience with Patty, we really want to get the right answer. So it could take up to a year to answer your question. So, um, all right, let's jump in. Um, one of the more recent questions I thought was just kind of interesting was, so did you hear JJ Watt went to the Arizona Cardinals? I heard that he was looking to go somewhere. I've been kind of checked out from sports after the Super Bowl. Yeah. So it's interesting that somebody asked like, what is your guys' oh, thoughts? Interesting. Yeah, it, and the whole reason was like, well, he's leaving so that he can go to a contender, all this, and people were thinking maybe Green Bay, Buffalo, the Ravens, the Houston Chiefs. Houston loves him, all, though. Like, I know. It, he'll always be like yeah, a Houston Yeah, he didn't leave son. on bad yeah. terms. I don't think so too much. I mean, but you still kind left. of battled some in- injuries and stuff, oh, yeah. right? Didn't he like break his back and his yeah. arm several times? It's crazy. Legs and stuff. But pretty much the question comes in and says... How do y'all feel about the fact that he says, like, I want to go play for a contender, and then he chooses the Cardinals, who were mm. eight and eight last year? Do you really feel that he, like, did he just want out, or did he actually want to play for a contender? I'm not saying the Cardinals. I mean, they look yeah. good early on, but then trash towards the end, you know? So, I don't know. General thoughts? Do you have any? Um, I think they're an exciting team to watch, and they've got a bright future. And yeah. in that sense, they're a contender. Kyler like, Murray's fun. Yeah. No, he's awesome. Texas um, boy, Allen High School. I didn't know he was DFW. Cool. Yeah. Same high school. Allen is like the super high school, right, of football. Yeah. It's the one they have that like, 
like literally stadium. Yeah. Yeah. It's Father like, uh Father Kevin, Rev Kev went right, to Allen Rev High Kev. School. He yeah. was in the uh Allen marching band. band. Shout out Rev Kev, who Sup, used to Rev be Kev. here. So definitely doesn't listen to our podcast. Oh, he will today. <laughs> <laughs> so do you so do you have an issue though being like it would be like you <clears throat> saying, you know, yeah, I want to I, w- I want to go to a, a different contender. diocese. Yeah. And then you pick like Fargo. <laughs> I, I I don't even know. Just like random thing. Juno. You know, I just yeah. really want to serve a lot of more people. And then you go to Juno, Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's that's an interesting thing. But I yeah, it's hard to make a an analogy with the diocese thing. Um <laughs> <laughs> wait you can't just trade <laughs> just offer uh hey can i uh can i waive my yeah. contract with this diocese even though yeah. they put me through my study abroad and my study abroad abroad yeah like we'll give you you know two thousand dollars plus prospects yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, that'd be interesting yeah trades no i don't know i i th- i don't know i think that the that the cardinals like that their record doesn't reflect how good they could be next season. Yeah. And so I think I it's I think it's fair to maybe contender is too strong, but maybe it's not. Like I think they'll make the playoffs. Mm. Um I don't know. NFC is good. Yeah. Like if he'd Besides gone to the NFC East. Yeah. <laughs> if he'd gone to Dallas, like, you know, then it's like, all right, what are you doing here? Because we haven't talked sports in a while. I'll just toss out one more thing. You know, Russell Wilson came out and said he would, one one of his shortlist places. He he doesn't want to trade necessarily, but one of his shortlist places is is Dallas. Would you take Russell Wilson over Dak? If you uh, if you had the chance tomorrow, you just like trade one for one. Well, I mean, because you're a Cowboys fan. Yeah, it's complicated. I I think we need to just like break everything and and rebuild. Like our defense is so bad that I don't even think. Like I think Russell would be an upgrade from Dak at least for one year or two years in short term. Um, there's a big question about, you know, how how well is Dak going to recover from that yeah. catastrophic injury? It seems like he's recovering quite well. Yeah. And, like, on paper, Dak is a really good quarterback and is is up there with, with Russ Wilson. Like, I think the, the eye test, that's what mm-hmm. they say. The, for the eye test, I would take... Russell Wilson, but I just don't know why we would we would make a move like that this season because I don't think that we we have any like any ability to contend. Yeah. Um interesting. We, we I, I think we have, you know, a a historic offense, but just no defense. And you can't do anything with no defense. Yeah. Should like, be interesting with the draft and all that. Yeah. So all right, let's jump into some theological questions. Emily asks, how do you discern whether or not God is speaking to you, or is it just your own thoughts? Recently, I've been trying to de- develop a more consistent prayer life, and this question always seems to make me second-guess and overthink. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this question. I think it's—I think a lot of people wonder this. Oh, you yeah, know, is, do. Is this me? Is this You want to give God? it a shot? <laughs> Do I want to give it a shot? Um, I know there's whoa oh. Microsoft update. <laughs> um, is Microsoft. Uh, it's just like a word program, you know, Word, all that. Uh, I use y- a Hebrew pr- word processor okay, called anyway, Melel. Whatever. So we, <laughs> you know, some things we tell youth here for sure is well, kind of what is the litmus test that God has worked in your life before too? 
going back and evaluating, you know, when he, when you clearly can look back and see where the Lord has worked in your life, how has he kind of communicated to you in those times? Like, what have you been able, you know, was it through, um, you know, journaling? Was it through, you know, silent meditation? Um, I think second, we tell people that it's, you definitely, it's not just something that you should be quick kind of to rush into. Like, is this something you've actually sat in quiet with, meditated on, listened to the Lord about? And a third thing we've kind of also mentioned, you know, and I'm talking to teens that I get to know, have a relationship with, develop, you know, um, kind of journey with them. The third thing we say also is, you know, if it's anything contrary to our faith, our teachings, our beliefs, anything like that, as that's probably coming from you and 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 not the Lord. Um, so is it consistent? Kind of like that true, uh, true beauty and good. You know, um, those things. Saying, how are you identifying those things? And um, yeah, now it's hard because we don't have Emily right here to say. You know, is it like, does God want me to? You know. I don't know, go to college or be a nun or this or, you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I do, I do believe some people like to use phrases and opt out to be like, well, you know, God will just, you know, it's a choice between a good and a good. Yeah. But the Lord still calls us to certain things, you know? Um, I feel like that's an often cop out for the priesthood. There's young mm-hmm. men who over my time in youth ministry, I've seen and I've, they have a vocation to the priesthood. I mean, I would put money on it and somehow along the way, somebody has said, yeah, but, um, you know, we need beautiful, true, good marriages, which is, it's true. Faithful marriages. It's true. Mm -hmm. And both of those things are good. And both of those things are beautiful. But I really feel like the Lord's calling you to the other one. So those are Mm. a few initial things I just toss out. Um, that's good. I, I like, I like the, the sort of refocus. Like, well, you know, what is your history with God? Um, I think that's helpful. Uh, like, just on a, a really basic level, like, it can be confusing because we use words like speaks and the voice. We're not talking about hearing voices externally right Right. like if you were hearing voices and you came to me i would direct you to a psychologist right it's not to say god can't work through that right but he doesn't normally right um and like the way grace interacts with us the way god communicates with us is working through our faculties right and not over against them somehow and so what that means, like by faculties, I mean things like our, our intellect, our mind, and our will, mm-hmm. like our the seat of our decisions, um, and even our emotions. Uh, but those are harder to get a read on because they're like wild horses that just do whatever they want. Um, so what that means is like when the scriptures talk about, because this is, this is the problem. It's because the scriptures are always talking about the Lord speaking. Right. Um, and the prophets being like, what? What would you say? Here I <laughs> am, Lord. <laughs> um, but like when he, when he speaks to us, what it looks like is a movement of the heart. Mm. Um, a desire to do something good for the Lord. Yeah. Um, and sometimes 
it's you know consistent with where we've been coming from. Other times, it's something that we hasn't really occurred to us, and right. that that can happen with vocations to the religious life. Sometimes, like I just started thinking about this one day, and I don't know why, but I can't get rid of that thought. And more and more, like I'm afraid of it. I don't know what it means, right. but like there's something in me that just wants to give my life to God in this way. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what we mean when we mean like hearing the voice of the Lord. We mean being able to pay attention to those movements of the heart. Right. And now it is confusing. Like, is it me or is it him? Because it's both when God is speaking through us like that. Yeah. Right? He doesn't, it's not, you know, a thought. <laughs> like, even if it's a, a thought that comes to me, like this right. idea, like, I want to go and serve the poor in this way. Like, it's it's working through our faculties, right? It's not coming from the outside in this way. God's, his grace is moving us sort of, from the inside. Um, yeah. And so it is both. And then it becomes like, well, is it a good thing or is it something contrary to the faith? Right. Um, and a really helpful thing, um, like to, to sort of put aside what you were saying about vocations, which, yeah. which is a really good point. And that's something yeah. that we should go into another time. Yeah. Yeah. But um, like the church has declared for a very long time now, um, the Second Council of Orange was one of the one of the sort of official declarations of of this principle, um, but then it's taken up into the formal language of other councils, like even Council of Trent, much later. Mm-hmm. Um, that every good action and every good inspiration for a good action, every good thought that we have begins with a movement of God's grace. Yeah. Which is to say, like, you know, you can keep going back and you're not going to to get to a point where it's you first and then God. Right. And that's, I mean, that's something that the church clarified with Augustine against the Pelagians and all this stuff. Like, is it God or is it me or is it both? And how does it work? Like, when it comes to good desires, a desire for a good action, um, it's always God moving first. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like it that com- song, every good and perfect gift comes from you. Like there's a, song. yeah, it's a praise and worship. <laughs> that's not the name of the song, but it's like the bridge of yeah. it. It's like every yeah. good and perfect. That's exactly okay. it. I'll send so it like, to you. <laughs> so like we shouldn't reduce, right? Because because it's it uses this metaphor of speaking and of the voice and stuff. We shouldn't reduce uh, or sort of like box in the way God <laughs> communicates to us yeah. into just this thing that can only happen when I'm at prayer and I have to listen really hard and like it's a still small voice and that like every good intention and good desire we have comes from God. Yeah. That's God speaking to you. Right. In this metaphorical way of yeah. like moving you by grace towards something good. And yeah, we have to go to prayer and dispose ourselves and yeah. reflect on these things and, mm-hmm. And all that, if we're going to be able to hear that, that is, notice it, right. pay attention, and cooperate with it. Right. And like sometimes we have a good desire that can't be fulfilled in this moment, but we know that it's from God, but we don't understand how it's going to, to work out. Yeah. Um, and that can cause a lot of confusion on our part, and that's a call to patience and to trust. And you right. know, he calls Abraham out from his, <laughs> from his homeland before telling him where he's going to go. And I guess Abraham just picks a direction, but right. it's like, but right. like, that's the commandment, you know, 
go and then I'll show you where when you're on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really how it is in this sort of relationship with God and learning to listen to his voice and to cooperate with it. It's like, okay, he's, I have this good desire and I know that since it's a good desire, it's from God, I'm going to take a step in that direction. Yeah. And then reevaluate and then take a step in that direction. Yeah. Re-evaluate. And, it, and it can help. And I'm, <laughs> this is not a pitch um, for a spiritual director per se but it yeah. that's it helps to have somebody even if that's a good friend who's walked with you over Especially time if that's a good friend yeah who knows you and is can like, probably help uh, you more than i can yeah definitely yeah. <laughs> for sure <laughs> um and th- yeah so I, I i think that's great if emily has any follow-ups i'm sure she'll reach out to us so um here's a fun one chris says so pope francis just made a decree about women as acolytes and lectors mm. but didn't we already have them before was it just something that previous popes allowed slash tolerated, kind of like extraordinary ministers of communion? Something to do with subdeacons and other orders pre-Vatican II. I'm sure you guys can clear this up for us. <laughs> yeah. So this was, what, beginning of February? Yeah, it feels, right? feels like at least a month ago, but yeah. And this kind of goes, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll frame it by saying, you made a good point when we use the term like God speaks, people are thinking voice, right? Mm -hmm. And when we also say words like lector or things like that, people have a connotation in their head of one thing. And the church's definition is like, what is an official lector who's been installed as a lector? And what is somebody who is a reader, (laughs) right? right? So, I just want to frame it with that to say also it's good just in context to know some of this background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the background is that there were uh, historically a bunch of things called minor orders and that those were stages that you would pass through uh, in seminary and would be conferred upon you. Uh, they weren't major orders like right. priesthood right. where you would receive the laying on of hands and it's an indelible mark. It's something you can't ever undo. Um, like you are a priest forever in when you're ordained in the line of Melchizedek when you're ordained a priest, even if you know something terrible happens and you're dismissed from the clerical state or you leave or whatever, like that mark of being conformed to Christ um, in persona Christi Capitis um, in the person of Christ, the head, like that never is undone. It's like the mark of baptism that we receive is never undone. Even when people formally defect from the church and like, we'll do all sorts of weird stuff in like atheist circles. Like even, Mm -hmm. you know, have a reverse baptism with a hair dryer (laughs) to try and dry out the waters of baptism. Like it's just silly, but, but like we know that that mark never leaves. Um, like baptism changes you. You're adopted yeah. now into the family of God and you can turn your back on that grace. But like, that's always there. You can always turn back to it. Yeah. Repent. Um, Three indelible marks, by the way, baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. Bam. And then you could get two, right? You could get it for uh, a priest as a, ordained as a priest, and then a second 
indelible mark ordained as a bishop, right? There's some controversy over how exactly oh, that works. Oh, nice. I, I love a, it. I fall on a different side. We can get into that some yeah, other yeah. time. Well, maybe somebody question. can submit a yeah, follow-up uh, question. Yeah, but what is a bishop exactly? <laughs> <laughs> what purpose do they actually serve in my life? You know, hypothetically. Anyway, going back to um, it. Yeah, but going back to this, so there used to be a lot of minor minor orders. I think there was like seven or six, depending on how you count. And like Porter was the first one, the guy who would open the door. Um, <laughs> and it's like anybody can open a door, but this is a special thing right. as you're advancing towards priesthood. So that's where the minor orders come from. And then with the reformation of the liturgy, um, after Vatican II, the minor orders are reduced to two, mm-hmm. uh, acolyte and lector. Acolyte, someone who serves at mass and is involved in liturgy as, you know, someone who's helping basically. Right. Um, and lector, someone who reads, you know, anybody can serve at mass in any given moment. I can just call up somebody who's not an installed acolyte. Yeah. Um, and so just as anybody can read at mass, I can call them up and say, can you read at mass today? Right. Um, even if they're not a formally installed lector. Right. Um, but so with, this is how I understand it anyway, with uh, with this reduction of the minor orders, which include things like subdeacon. Subdeacon was a minor order. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the reduction of minor orders um, after Vatican II, then you, you only have two now, acolyte and lector. Lector and acolyte, that's the order. Yeah. Those are still things that seminarians will receive uh, as they're moving towards ordination, like I was installed as a lector nice. and installed as an acolyte. And you found the picture from, from Rome when I was installed as a lector and I looked like young Spock. Yeah. Because um, I had like thinner face, clean shaven completely. Shorter hair. Shorter hair. And like you did look Spock, like Spock. ears and eyebrows. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But anyway, your ears haven't changed. <laughs> you have the same ears, so. although your ears and nose always do grow your entire life. That's I, I at least I I've been told that. that. Maybe we can verify that with your uncle, who's a doctor. Yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll, we'll look into it. We'll look into a special podcast. So, so anyway, you have like these things which are still part of uh, seminary formation, so they still have that role. But they're also they were they were sort of like moved more into kind of a lay environment. Um, so that means that like you have lay people who are not intending to become priests or permanent deacons right? who are installed as acolytes and installed as lectors. And it kind of just depends on the bishop and the diocese, like how much you do that. Um, I don't think we really use those like formal installations in the mm-hmm. Diocese of Dallas, I know in Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, they have installed acolytes, and Cardinal DiNardo requested that um, the ones who serve at Mass, or like that there be an installed acolyte yeah. at every Mass or something like that, um, because of their connection historically with uh, formation for holy orders, um, Acolyte and lector, the installation of them was until very recently reserved just to men and women, just to just to men. Uh, so, like um, at some of my family's at my family's parish in Houston, for instance, right. um, 
like they have several sort of like kind of middle-aged men who yeah. are installed acolytes <clears throat> and they act as sacristans and as servers and they're around there's no women who are installed acolytes and so it was reserved only for men because it had the connection historically as like preparation for orders something you only seminarians would receive um I think what the Pope's doing here is just recognizing that this is this is not something that is per se in itself formation for orders. And since there are there has been permission for a long time for women to serve at the altar, mm-hmm. like that's a that's a recent thing. We might forget, but like I don't know, it was it was a permission granted in like the eighties, I think. Mm. Late seventies or the eighties, uh, to have girl altar servers. Um, but that's been around for long enough that it's kind of like, well, you know, why can't women become acolytes, like formally installed acolytes, if they can serve at altar, and that's the same thing, or right? Like, this, I, I would say the majority of our readers are women. Maybe it's not true. Maybe it's fifty-fifty. But um, I think a lot. Like, can we can we formally install them as electors? My only question with this is like, who was asking for this? Um, like I just it came, right, and then it came out of left also, field. Yeah, and then people just take it as like, oh, this is the first step to woman priesthood. Let's just be honest. I think this, people are going to use it that way. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. so I found it very troubling for that reason. I don't know the motive of the Holy Father Call in this. Up. And yeah, yeah, I just I haven't talked to him in a while. Like, <laughs> um, and so like, like I I don't want to ascribe motive right. there. Um, but I know that that there are plenty of people in the church who are going to say like, well, here we go. We're starting to starting to chip away at this and that's going to lead to women deacons and to women priests. And the church has already spoken very definitively about that over and over and over. Um, that like we have no authority. Um, like the deposit, it belongs to the deposit of faith. Right. Big T that only men. Yeah. Big T tradition that only men can be priests. And that's not something that's meant to be exclusive but that's the way it is. Like, right. um, and then women deacons historically are a different thing, um, meant to be primarily assisting with baptism <laughs> in the early church, which involved stripping down completely. Um, and so you would have to have like people assisting in the diacon- diaconia, the service, mm-hmm. um, uh, who <laughs> were of the same, same yeah, sex. Gender, yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, there are definitely people who are going to try and use this, right? Um, to like rally another sort of push mm-hmm. for women priests and women deacons, and so I think it's really unfortunate, and that's that's why I'm I'm kind of wondering, like, where was the call for this? Mm-hmm. There are very few dioceses; they're mostly in developed countries that use installation of acolytes and lectors to begin with yeah is the desire that every diocese begin installing like actually using this thing maybe maybe and in sort of uh opening it up to to women and men it reflects the permission already granted by the church for women and men to read and to serve yeah um maybe that's it it's just like i can only I know that there are a handful of dioceses in the United States right. that have installed acolytes and lectors. Yeah. But I could only really name 
um, Galveston, Houston off the top of my head. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a weird thing. It's a good question to ask. Um, I know, you know, I know historically where this comes from, and I know the current situation now. I don't know exactly why this, yeah, yeah. what what the need for this yeah. was. Why not? And it does worry me because I think it will cause division in the church uh, right. further. I can see that. Uh, all right, let's do a quick and uh, one to finish up. This is anonymous. You guys, and we talked about it a little bit before, so um, you talked several times about spiritual direction on the podcast. Let's say Father Paul, um, but Father Paul, can you talk about how to approach a priest to ask for spiritual directing, assuming a priest, but if there are others that should be considered to talk about? I just want to add something before I say this. I was talking to one of my uh, priest friends who does listen to the podcast and they're like, you got to let people know really priests are going to say no and they don't have the time, not in a mean way, but I'm just putting it out yeah. there. That's why we do need to, I, I, I know I, you know, I, there's a recurring statement that I often say, but I mean, we have to utilize the lay people because I'll just use it as an example. Part of the tough the tough part for me is I'm friends with a lot of priests, so I don't want to have my friend as a spiritual director, different mm. things. I've literally never had a priest say yes because they're busy, different things like that. We shared the number of faithful. What was it? One priest to every 6,000 or 7,000? Didn't we, didn't 1. we do this? 1.2 million, pre, 1. 1. million Catholics yeah. and about... 173 or Yeah, 173 like, priests. Yeah, I think it's like 6,000 or something like that. Most likely, priests are going to say no. I just, you yeah. are the rare person right now who I've even heard who's taking, as, as, as a priest, taking people. I just want to put that out, and I yeah. know that's tough to hear, and I know that's disappointing to hear. Mm. Um, and that's why we need to pray for more vocations, and that's why, but we do need to tap into, like, there's many teens who I've journeyed with to say, okay, teens are young adults. Can, is there somebody who can walk with somebody in that way, you know? Um, right. So toss that out. Go. Yeah. No, that's an excellent framework. I totally agree with that. Um, I, I would, I would just add a couple points. Um, so sometimes you'll read, you'll read the saints, right? Um, and they'll talk about how important spiritual direction is. Um, like St. Francis de Sales, for instance, in introduction to the devout life, we'll talk about, Spiritual direction as something essential. You have to have a spiritual director. Um, he had 700 priests in his tiny diocese. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're living in a very different world than we're living in right now, especially in in Dallas, uh, where I think, yeah, whenever we talked about the stats, I brought up that um, at least when I entered seminary, we had the second worst priest to uh, Catholic ratio in the United States. Yeah. And we're still growing. And our seminarians are growing a lot, but not at the rate that our city is growing. Right. Um, so there's always a situation of triage right now where it's like, what are things that only I can do? Yeah. Give the sacraments. Uh, what are things that, and, and like preach the word, right? Right. You know, actually put time into a homily and preparation. Like there's a reason that in Acts of the Apostles, uh, <laughs> the apostles were like, we need deacons to go and do some of this other stuff so that we can dedicate ourselves to the service of the word. Mm -hmm. Like that preaching is something extremely important. Yeah. So 
and then you know the the munis the the office of of governance like there are certain things that a priest cannot delegate um in terms of the governance of his parish like he needs to involve everybody as much as possible um but he has been entrusted with yeah with you know governance and so he has to be able to be present for that yeah um now what I tell people who come to me for spiritual direction is that uh, I can only give them 20 or 30 minutes like once a month and that it's kind of self-regulating as it is because I only have, you know, like like an hour and a half or two hours uh, set apart per week. And, you know, if you sign up for a spot, you sign up for a spot. If you don't, if there's no spots, I can't do anything <laughs> right, for right, you. Right. Like, and so that's how I deal with it. But one of the first things I'll tell them is like, maybe you've done spiritual direction before where it was an hour and you're really able to unpack things and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't do that. This is, this is what I can offer. But in my experience, at least half of the good of having a spiritual director is just the accountability part. Right. Like being, knowing that you are going to have to give an account of yourself and check in. Right. Um, calls us to a higher standard. Like you don't want to have to come into spiritual direction and be like, well, yeah, I basically didn't do anything that we talked about. <laughs> and it's like, why are you here? You're not trying. Right. Um, and that happens in any kind of relationship uh, yeah. where there's trust. Like that should not happen. Not just in the priesthood. <clears throat> that should happen with our connect groups. Yeah. That should happen in your friendships. Like it's kind of an artificial thing that you would come to a priest uh, to do that. Um, just for accountability, right? But unfortunately, that's pretty much all we can provide. Like, right? Like, I'll you know I'll give some advice uh, as best I can, but it's really it's more about accountability than anything else. And so, like, that's that's something that that doesn't need to happen here. Yeah. It it's it's kind of analogous to the way that like people can fall into the trap of thinking like their faith is just contained to this hour on Sundays in the church right. building. And then we're always trying to like, yeah, it's actually your whole life. Like that's a really important <laughs> moment of it. But then from there, it's supposed to flow into right. every facet yeah. of your life. Um, to think of like, I could only receive direction and accountability and help in my spiritual life by going to the church mm-hmm. is to reduce it way too much. Like we should be able to talk about our spiritual lives with each other. Yeah. And not not just with anybody like there's a certain modesty about it but yeah. but like to have someone you trust like that's the important thing absolutely and you know there's there's some stuff that like a priest because of his experience and his training may be able to offer but yeah but like this is the other thing i want to say about this just to close close this out like okay think about the development of a human being <laughs> like you have sort of three stages of childhood, adolescence, and being an adult. Right. And you can describe those three stages in terms of your ability to feed yourself and feed others. So a child is one who is fed, has no ability to feed themselves. Right. An adolescent knows how to feed himself. He knows where the fridge is, where the pizza rolls are, like probably can order DoorDash if he has his parents' credit card, like that kind of thing. You're you're becoming a self-feeder when you're an adolescent. That's a distinction between one who is fed as a child and one who can feed himself. Mm. Think of the faith when I'm talking about this because yeah. it's an analogy. Um, when you become an adult, 
you learn how to feed, feed others. others. Yeah. That's what it is to be a parent. And so that reality, Uh-oh. right? <laughs> that reality for natural parents, right? For you with your family, you didn't know how to be a parent until you had your first kid. And then you had to figure it out. Like you probably felt very unprepared for that even after reading books and going to classes or whatever, whatever you did to prepare classes. Whatever parents do. Yeah, whatever parents do to prepare. <laughs> like, like it's, you're going to feel unprepared. Right. And then when the baby's there, you have to figure it out. And so you do. You become capable of doing this whole other thing you thought you couldn't do. Mm-hmm. People in the faith seem like they're able to go from childhood to adolescence without, with a relative relative ease right it's still it's a big learning curve to go from like i don't know how to look up anything when i have a question and i don't know what books to read and i never even thought about reading a book or listening to a podcast or something like that like catholics can become self-feeders where they know what sources are good and they know you know where to go to be fed to feed themselves um they know how to like do more than just google a question, but actually discern between the entries that Google provides you. Yeah. Um, but so many Catholics are afraid to take that step of becoming a spiritual parent where you have to now feed others. Others now depend on you. Mm. Um, and there's not really a good situation that forces you into it. People only learn how to be parents when they get forced into it by actually having the baby. Yeah. Um, and now the circumstances have thrust themselves upon you in such a way that like you have to figure this out. Yeah. That doesn't happen in the spiritual life very much to yeah. people. It happens to priests because we get put in a parish where all of a sudden everybody's like, Oh, you must have all the answers. So I'm going to come to you and you just figure it out. Right. We don't come in with all the answers. Right. Like you become a parent by being a parent Yeah. Uh, in the spiritual life and in the natural life. And so like, here's where I'm going with this, like to start thinking of like spiritual direction as something that you can provide while recognizing in all humility, right? You know, limitations. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to say like, this is, this is what it means to become a missionary disciple of Christ. Yeah. Somebody who spreads the gospel. It, it means becoming a parent in the spiritual life. Right. Um, like St. Paul will talk about. And uh, like this, this sort of like spiritual direction relationship, you don't have to call it spiritual direction. You can call it whatever you want. But like being able to talk about your spiritual life with a close friend or in the context of your small group mm-hmm. um, like and being able to like starting to learn how to listen truly to somebody and then how to offer advice when it's appropriate, but just like being there for each other to hold each other accountable. Um, that's how you become a spiritual parent. Yeah. That's how you become an adult yeah. instead of an adolescent in the spiritual life. And so like, this is the way, <laughs> um, this is the this way, is the way <laughs> I have spoken, um, <laughs> uh, for, for the laity to like, really transform their spiritual life is is by putting themselves in situations where they have where people start to depend on them yeah. in some way and they depend on each other and it's not all just like the priest is the only one who could do any of 
could give counsel in this way or advice in this way. Yeah. If only we had more priests and everything would be perfect and yeah. cause we could all have spiritual directions and stuff. It's like, no, we have another, another way that's open to us here mm-hmm. and it seems like a good one, but we have to, we have to have the courage to take it. So there you go. Boom. On that, they have a Joey Scancella. Deep Father- sea. <laughs> that, that means I've spoken in Latin. So. There you go. This is the way. Yeah. Joey Scancella, Father Paul Bechter. Take care. God bless.